Well, today, church, I want to do a little bit of refreshing, a little bit rewinding, a little bit of remembering. And so I'm going to just go through very succinctly who we are as a church and kind of take you on a little bit of a journey. I'm going to go relatively fast because there's a lot to cover. But sometimes we can forget what is our vision? What is our mission? What are our core values? And what is the connection of this ministry? What is it? How are we connected? How do we all work together? Is that okay? So I've got some great slides um, that uh, somebody made for me. So if we can, can we put the vision statement up? Can you all see this? Can we read this together? One, on three, ready? One, two, three. Our vision is to build a radical, relevant church that empowers people to express God's heart, fulfill their dreams, and change the world. Very good. Our vision is to build something God is a builder. He's God the builder, not Bob the builder. He is God the builder. In fact, the only thing that God ever said he would build is his church. You can turn the lights back on. Thank you, Dane. The, the first mention of the word church is in Matthew chapter 16, where there's a dialogue between Jesus and the disciples, and he asked them, who do the people say I am? And they said, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, how about you? Who do you say that I am? To which Peter replied, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, for this revelation has not been given to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And on this rock, on the revelation of who you just said that I am, I will build. Everyone say build build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And Jesus gives him the keys to the kingdom. You see those keys in Acts chapter 2 at the end of, uh, the, where after the day of Pentecost has come and the Holy Spirit is poured out in from that upper room into the streets. And Peter, Peter, the one who had the keys, stands up and he addresses the people in Jerusalem. And he says, they're not drunk as you think. No, this is what Joel was talking about. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, both men and women, sons and daughters. I will pour out my spirit. And he begins to preach the gospel using the Old Testament. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says, the people were cut to the heart and they said to Peter, what must we do to be saved? Peter pulls out his keys and he says, key number one, you need to repent. Key number two, you need to be baptized in water. Key number three, you need to baptize in the Holy Spirit and then be added into the church. They're the keys to the kingdom. That's how we have access into the kingdom. It's how we get access and go from one kingdom, the kingdom or the domain of darkness, and we get brought into the marvelous kingdom of light. How? Through the keys of the kingdom, through repentance, through baptism, through confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? pretty basic, but we have to realize that once we're taken from this domain of darkness into the marvelous kingdom of light, that those people who live here are called the ecclesia. Ecclesia is a Greek word that means called out of, called out of one thing and brought into another, and it's a marvelous kingdom. Amen? And here, the church is being built. It's not just something that we do. The truth is we've never been to church in our life. The truth is we are the church. And God is building, building us together, living stones that he's fashioning together to make a house, a spiritual house, where he can make his presence. Amen? That's what he's building. But what he's building, our vision here is to build a radical, everyone say radical, and a relevant church. Radical, by radical I mean it means that we're going to live in the fullness of everything that Jesus paid for on the cross. 
That means we want to move in the gifts. And if it was a finished work, which I believe with all my heart, it was when Jesus said to Telestai on the cross, he declared it is paid in full. It is finished. The wrath of God was satisfied at Calvary. And I want to suggest there's no more wrath left for those who know and love Jesus. The wrath of God was satisfied. That's why we pray, we sing, God, you are so good. He is not only good, but he's in a good mood. He's not angry with you. If you're on this side of the cross and you're still living in slavery, you're still living as a sinner, then you've lost the the full understanding of what the finished work of the cross. That's why it's called good news. The gospel is good news because it just sounds too good to be true. And the truth is it's too good and it's too true. We're no longer sinners. We're no longer slaves. We're now sons and daughters. We're saints before God. That's why Paul in his letters writes to the saints in Colossae, Ephesus, Philippi. You never see him writing to the sinners because we're no longer sinners. We are now sons and daughters. Amen? So it's pretty radical. We have a pretty radical message that God is in a good mood. And when you come to church and when we, when we gather rather as a church, that we feel like, man, this is amazing. We're hearing what God is doing. We heard from Brandon today and his mom's here. Amazing. So good. But we get to share together, and that spurs, encourages us as to what God is doing. And we hear prophetic words together. We hear testimonies like what happened to John. So amazing. And then if we're feeling, well, I'm in an impossible situation, and you listen to the God of the impossible answering somebody else's impossibility, then you get hands later, and suddenly you see the, ha- the miracle happen again. And it's so encouraging to encourage is to impart courage. And so Paul, so the writer of Hebrews says, to meet all the more, to encourage one another, to spur one another on towards good deeds. That's why we meet. We don't just come along to get along. This is a bit bold. What's going on? Why are we singing the same song? We'll get there in a minute. So our vision is to build a radical yet relevant church that we must have, that Jesus met the needs. He met the needs. When he broke bread, with a breaking of bread is for the healing of our bodies, the the, the, the cup, which represent, rep, represents his blood, is for the forgiveness of our sin. But he always first met the need because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And there is so much need. I mean, I was amazed hearing Diana today saying that 700 cards were filled out last, last year. That's incredible. If, that means if this year if we have 700 people who are filling out cards, imagine if we had everybody in here respond to a few families. We all adopted a family. We all adopted a whole pile of cards. And we invite them to dinner. We, what can we pray for? And we follow them up and emailed them and dropped stuff around at their house and phoned them and texted them. And man, come to the house of God. Come and, come and, come and find the God of miracles for, your, for yourself. Come and hear this great news. We're not going to come and beat you up and tell you, well, you're a sinner. See, there's so many people, and this was the whole message. You remember acceptance before change, that when, you have, when, when, when people don't know how much change they have to do before they're accepted. But Jesus turned it around the other way. He, he said, I accept you just as you are. That's what he did with Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, come down here. Today I want to have dinner in your house, which in that culture 
was a sign of acceptance. And that's what Jesus is like. He says, I accept you just as you are. And nowhere in the story of Zacchaeus, does the, anywhere does Jesus demand him to change. Jesus was kind to him, showed him acceptance. The byproduct of acceptance was change. Why? Because the kindness of God leads us to repentance. And I believe that's the picture of the church. It's a marvelous kingdom of light that we're just so glowing with, with goodness that people are attracted like, I don't get it. Like, why I'm not feeling condemned? I thought I felt bad about myself when I go to church. No, you're going to encounter a God who's in a good mood, who absolutely loves you because the wrath of God was already poured out at Calvary and Jesus became sin. It was so ugly. It was so terrible that God the Father turned his face and Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And everything went dark, and then suddenly, Jesus rises from the dead on the third day. Whoo, come on. All right. Okay. So our vision is to build a radical, relevant church that empowers people. Everyone said empowers. Empowers people to do what? To express God's heart, to fulfill their dreams, and to change the world. Can you put the mission up there as well, please? Our mission is to create a culture where people from every nation and generation can have a genuine encounter. Everyone say encounter with the living God. Our mandate is to see people established. Everyone say established in the truth, equipped to fulfill their dreams and empowered to change the world around them. We want everyone to live in the fullness of everything Jesus paid for on the cross to express the likeness of heaven here on earth and to leave a legacy for the generations to come. That's a pretty powerful, rich mission statement, and that's what I want to talk about today. Is that okay? All right, so there's seven E's in here, and we're going to go through them one by one. And the first is encounter. Everybody say encounter. If you stay, if, if, you're, if you're responsive, I'll know you're with me and we'll just go so much faster. All right, so our vision is to see people and our mission is to see people encounter the living God. Right there that people encounter. I, I did, and, and I think when people come in here, it happens in worship. In fact, today, this week, Fee and I were in a restaurant and we saw a girl and she said, do you remember me? We said, of course we remember you. And she, her and her mom, she was, she was a, a young child at the time. And her mother, on the very week that we started the church in a coffee shop, came running through the doors. And she said, I was just literally pulled in. Can you remember the words, Fee, that she said? I was just pulled in from the parking lot, and I had an encounter with Jesus. She said, I didn't even know Jesus. But it was, there was a few people singing in the coffee shop, and the door was open. And I was drawn in, and she got born again. Now her, her, this was a single mom, now her child has grown up, she's a waitress here in the town, and she, this week she was like, do you remember me? So powerful, but, I, but we want people to have an encounter with the living God, not just to come here and get information, not to go, oh yes, we'll have to think about that, it was good. No, he's alive. We want people to encounter God. Uh, I do, anyway, so... Put to worship when there's something that happens in worship, something that happens in the, in the prophetic. All right? Number two, number two, is to establish. Everyone say establish. God wants us to be established in the truth. Our mandate is to see people established in the truth. Everyone say established. In the truth. Who's the truth? 
Jesus, on this rock, on what rock? On the revelation of who you just said I am, Peter, I will build my church. Paul says this, no one can lay any other foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. As growing up, I hear that, well, I'm going to build my own thing because I don't want to build on somebody else's foundation. No, either it's Jesus or it's not. (laughs) Either it's built on Jesus or it's not. But if Jesus is the foundation, then we can keep building upon the revelation of Jesus, what Jesus did. And here in this house, these seven E's are key. And the second here is to be established in the truth. You know, when you read this Bible, this is his voice in print. We are actually getting truth laid and established into us every time we read this. And I think you'll find the more you walk with God, the more you realize you don't know. And suddenly arrogance and pride falls away and you become more humbled by who God is. Last year, we, we drove to Redding, California as a family and we, we kind of went through, I think, 17 states in two and a half weeks, and we went to Yosemite National Park, and there's a mountain there called Al Capitan. Has anyone ever been there? Yeah, and, and when, you, when you're driving up to it, it's like, wow, that's really majestic. It's amazing. Oh, we're going to climb that, and the closer you get to it, the more in awe you are of it. The closer you get to it, the more in awe you are of how big it is. And the closer you get, the higher it becomes until you're actually at the base of it. And suddenly you're like, it's one mile high. One mile high, straight up. You know, the the more we get to know God, the more in awe of him that we are. Oh, the depths of the riches, how unsearchable are your ways, oh God, beyond finding out. We're on a journey to get to know God. And when we have this callous attitude, like, yeah, I know God. Yeah, I know the word. Totally. It's like, what? No. The, the, more you, the more you get to know him, the more in awe of him you are. But our mandate is to see people established in the truth. Equipped. Everyone say equipped. To fulfill their dream. Equipped to fulfill their dream. The word equip here, um, I'm I'm just going to go quick, but in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, God has given what we today call the fivefold ministry, apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists. And then Paul says this, to equip God's people for works of service until, there's the word until, until we all come to the unity of the faith. That's why we still have them on the earth today. That's why ministries still exist because of the word until. Until is the operative word. Until we come to the full measure and stature of God, which we haven't. We have not yet come to the unity unity of the faith. That's why we need these ministry gifts. Why? To equip God's people, not to make us go wow. And one of the marks of a true Ephesians 4 gift when released in the church, whether it be local or global, is the result will be the church is equipped, not left going, wow, what an amazing gift. Can't wait till he or she comes back. Because the church, Paul says, I long to be with you that I may impart something to you. And when something is imparted, then something is left. And when you have an evangelist, an Ephesians 4 evangelist, and they're equipping the body, not just doing the work, they're equipping the body. When they leave, the church will be evangelistic. 
When if you have a prophet, when they leave, the church will be prophetic. If you have a teacher in the house, when they leave, the church will be well taught. If you have an Ephesians 4 pastor, the church will be well pastored. Why? Because it will be reproduced throughout the church. In every, if you have something that's apostolic, the church will be there and it will understand its culture and it will understand its mandate. Can you see? So here, we, one of our mandate is to see people equipped by ministry gifts. We want each one of you equipped what to fulfill their dreams. And empowered, everybody say empowered, to change the world around us. Can I just say, each one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. You are so different. You have different dreams. God is going to equip you in different ways. Each one of us was born original. Sadly, many of us die copies. I was with my son this week, my youngest son, Jonah, and uh, I, I took him out to, to buy him a bike. He hasn't had a bike for a few years that fit him, and uh, I noticed it, and I said, come on, I'm going to buy you a bike. I don't know how Walmart sells bikes so cheap. I mean, how can you manufacture a bike for 30 bucks and sell it, move it across the world and sell it, make a profit? I have no idea. But anyway, I bought this, I bought this bike that was a bit, that would fit him, and, and, uh, and he said, Dad, I don't really like that color. I said, why? He said, people might laugh at me. I said, why would they laugh at you? That color It's a cool color. What's wrong with green? You know, it's like a metallic green. And he said, because other people have different color bikes. I want to be like, I said, son, you want to be original. He said, what? I said, be original. God made you original. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're created to be a voice and not an echo. He was like, that's sweet, dad. I love green. I said, then have a green one. And who cares if people laugh at you? If they laugh at you, send them to me. But you know, church, we're not called to be copies. We're not called to be a copy of another church. We are fifthly and wonderfully made. God made this house unique. The sound of this house is unique. We're here. We want people to fulfill their dreams. We want people to explore who God has called them to be. And we want to empower them to, to change the world around them. That mean, that's why we have 360, to find out what people's dreams are. That's why we have different groups, to empower people, to find out what is in you. That's why we talk about not being a cap, a cap, but a cup. That there's not a ceiling here where people are capped. All capping comes from control. I was up in the middle of the night the other night, and my mind's a little, little bit weird, and I, I start writing notes and sticky notes. And, but I was thinking about control. Control has so many heads, but... Um, it's like pride. It just has so many faces. Pride pities itself. Pride promotes itself. Either way, it's about self. But like pride, control has different facets and faces. But when, 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 you have, when, you see, when you see control, first of all, control always comes from fear. When we get hurt, we become scared. When we become scared, we control which is really helpful whenever you see something that's controlling, you know it's coming from fear, and perfect love casts out fear. But to get to the root of the pain, what are you trying to protect? What are you scared of? And in leadership, it's so important that we're secure and that we are a hotbed for releasing people. Now, they need to be right people. Character, our gift and our callings open doors, but our character closes them. Our character and our attitude, having good character, having people that carry the right heart is so, so important. I've made that mistake many, many times, putting gift before character. 
God's not impressed by our gift, by the way. That's why he called it a gift. Because he just said it's free. But often we celebrate gift like a postman. Like that would be like running after the postman and telling him how awesome he was. He'd be like, no, 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 I just dropped it off. It's like, no, dude, you're the man. You are the man. You're amazing. Look at these gifts you carry. You'd be like, um, no, 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 I'm just a postman. Often we do that with gifts that God gives to man, and we celebrate it way over the giver of the gift. What? Hello. Okay, all right. Way off my notes. What was I talking about? Empowering people. But being condescending, it's a form of control. I'm going to make you feel, I'm going to cap you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make you feel smaller because then I'm actually controlling you. Rather than saying, hey, my greatest joy, John says this, there is no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. That's the heart of the Father. Paul says, I'm sending you Timothy in Philip to Philippi church. He says, I'm sending you Timothy for there's no one like him for Timothy has the interest of Christ. Church, it's so important that we have the interest of Christ. I'm going to go fast. All right, empowered. Everyone say empowered. I'm speeding up. We want everyone, everyone say everyone, to live in the fullness of everything that Jesus paid for on the cross, to express the likeness of heaven here on earth and leave a legacy for the generation to come. Everyone, I, I could go, I could spend two and a half weeks on this, but in Acts 2, verse 43, everyone was filled with or I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for everyone who believes. It is my will that no man perish, but all come into the knowledge of him. God wants everybody. That's God's will, that we all come to the full stature of Christ. God wants everyone to live the fullness of everything that Jesus paid for on the cross to express the likeness of heaven here on earth and leave a legacy to the generations to come. Encounter number two is established, somebody worked so hard on these, to equip, to empower, to, for everyone, everything, express. Just to go back on seven, express, to express the likeness of heaven here on earth and to leave a legacy for the generations to come. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So when we talk about expressing the likeness of heaven here on earth, what is heaven like? And we need to know that. That's, and that's, that's heaven coming to earth. That's until the, king, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. It's to see heaven come to earth. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no disease in heaven. And church, I believe with all my heart that we are called to be conduits of heaven, to bring heaven onto earth. And that the world will come to Zion. Isaiah chapter 2. The, the world will come to Zion. They will stream to Zion. They will stream to the church. They'll stream to the kingdom. And they will say, as Isaiah 2 says, teach us your ways, O people of God. The church is like a sleeping lion across, a sleeping giant across this earth that is just being stirred. All creation, Romans says, is waiting with eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Not for the sinners, but for the sons. That's why sonship is so important. That's why, can I encourage you, even have you pray, don't pray on this side of the cross. Oh God, oh God. He's like, yeah. I can't stand it in my home when my kids grovel. Say, like, lift up your head. 
I don't even let my dog do it. Stop it. He's like, all right, I'm off. But, but to lift up your head. And listen, I know some of us may have had bad experience with our father. But who God is to you is who God will be through you. And I would encourage you to find God afresh. Find God as an amazing dad. But he's not there to hurt you. He's not there to damage you. He's not there to whip you. He's not there to beat you. He's there to love you, to correct you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because he loves us. But it's always redemptive. Any answer that is not redemptive is no answer at all. He is the God of restoration. He is the God of redemption. He's an amazing father. He really is. So if we get this, it stops us praying, doing things for love, doing things for acceptance. On this side of the cross, we're doing things from love, from acceptance. Why? Because we're sons, because we're daughters of the king. And this church is here to express that. Amen? We have seven core values. going to go up really quick. Katie, you're doing great. Uh, Number one is worship. Everyone say worship, sonship, relationship, discipleship, leadership, stewardship, partnership. And we have to have ownership in order to do all of those things. For the sales to be sales, the ownership is the boat itself. Worship is our number one core value. Worship doesn't equal music. If you want to read about worship, one of my favorite few chapters on worship is from Romans chapter 12, and where Paul writes and he says, this is your spiritual act of worship. And you know, there's not one mention of drums. There's not one mention of a keyboard. Worship doesn't equal music. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is extravagant respect and devotion that is unrestrained by reason. That's why Job, in chapter 2, it says, at this Job fell on the ground and he worshipped God. Because we worship God for who he is. We praise him for what he's done. But in this house, I want to encourage you to worship, to find a way of worshiping God. When you come in, come, we've talked about this, but come in, moment, in momentum. Psalm 100, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. I'm coming in momentum. I'm here with thanksgiving. And his courts with praise. Can I, I want to suggest to you that often we never get to the inner courts of worship because we fail to enter with thanksgiving. And when we enter with a, with a callous resp- response, like, yeah, no, it's good. I don't really like the music. Uh, it's a bit heavy bass in here, isn't it? Or I don't really like that. God, we just missed it. What? And can, I'm gonna, can, can I be really honest? If, if we worship, if we start scoring worship, we're actually worshiping worship rather than worshiping God. And if you're worshiping worship, you're really worshiping you. Too, too strong? That's why I said rewind. Okay. Number two, sonship. This sonship is so important because it's it's our position that we're sons, not slaves. And some people live like God's trying to kill me. I should all these terrible things happen to me because I didn't I forgot to read my Bible. What? Well, I have cancer. It's just God teaching me a lesson. That's abuse. That's not the God that we serve. What kind of gospel is that? Which of you parents trip up your kids to treat them a lesson? They smash their teeth on the floor like, well, just you have to learn. Don't run. Told you not to run. You would be arrested for child abuse. God is not like that. God doesn't have cancer. He can't give you something he doesn't have. 
In fact, he carried it on the cross. By his stripes, we are healed. Not by ours, but we're still beating ourselves up, giving each other, like, like beating ourselves up. Oh, I need, oh, poor, poor what Jesus did for me. I just need to do better. He did everything. It was a finished work. Sonship is a core value, and you'll see it through everything we do. Relationships. Relationships. The, the Bible calls it cornonia, which means to share life. In Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to fellowship. They des- that was the second thing they devoted themselves to, to teaching, then to fellowship, then breaking bread, and then to prayer. But fellowship is so important. I encourage you, spend time, have fun. Be in each other's homes. Break bread together. Watch movies together. Watch comedians together. Play games together. Play cards together. Have fun. Enjoy life. Jesus wants us to enjoy life. Don't be stuffy. Have a laugh. Okay, number four, discipleship. 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 This is, is, is so, and it's tra- discipleship is training someone to follow the one who lives inside. Matthew 28 says this. This is the Great Commission. Jesus calls his disciples together on a mountaintop, and he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Discipleship. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. If you're in 360, this is so dear to our heart. There's two scriptures. One is in Proverbs. A man is a deep well, takes a man of understanding to draw him out. And the second is, is, is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, where Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, the things I've entrusted to you, first of all, it's an entrustment. Paul says, the things I've entrusted to you, I want you to entrust them to teachable people who have the ability to teach others also. Can you see the line of discipleship? Who will have the ability, everyone's the ability, to teach others also, E-T-A. Entrust, teachable. Ability. It's an entrustment. You must be teachable. You must have the ability. It's an entrustment. Entrust a faithful, another translation says. Another one says reliable people who will have the ability to teach others also. Ability is really important because God is the one who gives the ability. In Matthew 25, he calls his servants together and he trusted each one of them according to their ability, but God gave them the ability. Am I going too fast? Okay. So, uh, leadership. Uh, leadership is number one, two, three, four, five. Leadership. Leadership is influence. Leadership. But what area are you leading in? What area are you influencing? Are you leading yourself well? Stewardship, number six. Everyone say stewardship. Nearly there. Um, stewardship. Stewardship. Uh, here's four areas of stewardship, um, and they all begin with T. The first is our time. Can you steward your time well? Stewardship. Can you steward your time well? Number two, can you steward your talents well? The gifts that God has given you, the abilities that God has given you, the anointing God has given you, the dreams that God has given you. If your dreams don't get you up in the morning, they're not going to get anybody else up. We have to start with ourselves to be able to steward and manage ourselves. And that's what a leader is. It's somebody who's already got it here. Not They're not perfect, but they've sorted these things out. They are an example for other people to follow. So number one, time. Number two, talent. Number three, 
treasure? Can we, can we, are we faithful with money, the, with the money that God has given us, our treasure? God doesn't need our money, but our money is so important because where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. You can tell where someone's heart is by where their treasure is. And some people's, where is your treasure? What's most important to you? And number four is your temple. <laughs> Breathe in, everybody. Your temple, your physical being, your body, looking after the temple, the tent that God has given you. Stewardship. Stewardship. Number, number seven is partnership. This is all through the New Testament. Paul uses the word a lot, partnership. Join me in my partnership. But here, what we're talking about as far as a core value, and a lot of it is unseen because we don't see it, but it's connecting to other people, not only in our local cities, but also um, as a ministry. So it's the local churches connecting with other churches, but also the ministry connecting with other ministries. We have our first or our second conference, uh, leaders conference, uh, in the UK last year, it was here. Next, this, uh, this time, it's in the first weekend in November, and it's in the UK. And we're having people from other ministries come in. Why? To provoke us. They're going to come and speak to us. Why? To shake us up. I'm going to have people that even don't even believe what we believe come in to provoke us. I mean, it's not heresy, just different angle. <laughs> okay, all right. <clears throat> oh, thank God. Oh, praise the Lord. And uh, finally, ownership, number eight, for all those sails of the ship to, 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 to sail properly, we need to have ownership. Amen? I'm nearly done. Um, live streams, if you can put the live streams uh, vision statement, a mission statement, this is very succinct and very powerful. Uh, and this is from Psalm 46, which says, there is a river whose streams, everyone says streams, make glad the city of our God. Right now we have six churches, six life churches. Uh, two of them are called something different. One of them is about to, to change, um, to become a life church as well. But um, we're connected by this common vision, which is this. Our vision is to cultivate a relational network of churches that exist to bring life to people and local churches around the world. Is uh, Lizzie here? Just this week, I just want to tell you this. This is so, I want to encourage you. I don't want to embarrass you. But I met a pastor of another church in this town who said how he'd met you. And he'd never met you before. He said, I've met somebody who went to Life Church and they began to prophesy over me in the parking lot. Was it at the end of a funeral? And he was so blessed. So just well done. But this is a perfect example to bring life to people and churches around the world. It's to breathe that stream of life. There is a river. We're not the river, but there is a river, Psalm 46 says, whose streams make glad the city of our God, who make glad. And we're a stream of life. As a network of churches, we're a stream of life to bring life to people, to life, to churches around the world. Our mission is to be that stream that brings that builds with, sorry, be that stream, that builds with those that share our vision, watch this, and bless those who carry their own. To be a part of life streams, you don't, it, we're building together with people that are building the same thing, but we want to bless those that carry their own vision. It's not like, well, if you're not with our vision, then you're not with us. No, we just want to, we want to bless you in your vision. There's more than one stream. There's more than one tribe. There's more than one denomination. There's more than one ministry. And although we have a conviction of, what, of the sound of this house and the sound of this ministry, we want to build according to the pattern, the plan that we've seen, but we want to be a blessing to people who see something else. And that's what we are. Amen? So um, we have a tonight in Morris, 
tonight in Morris, Illinois. Jonathan and Ruth Horsfall lead that church there. And um, uh, a couple of years ago, they moved here and they took over the church. Originally, I was asked to, to take over that congregation. And we went in there and started, we changed the name and started to put our core values and shape the culture, which was just a wonderful blessing. And seeing those people all these years later, just this week, I was out there and just with smiles on their faces saying, Dan, look at what God has done. And tonight is their first night. They're not meeting this morning, but tonight is a big celebration in their new building. It's an old cinema right downtown Morris, and we're going to go and celebrate Life Church Morris tonight. So if you want to come, it starts at 6 o'clock, and we're going to lay hands on Jonathan and Ruth. We're going to pray for them. We're going to do basically this again and talk about our core values and what's going on. But it's so excited. There are over 140 people. Um, when we first went there, there was like 36 in the church and about 16 in attendance. And God has just blown that thing up. And Jonathan Ruth doing a, uh, just a fantastic job there. So then we have Chicago. And we have Matt and Matt. Matt, are you from Chicago as well? Yeah, can you guys stand up? It's just great to have you with us here today. This is Matt, everyone. Matt and Matt. Great, guys. You guys are amazing. Thank you. Um, Matt, um, I first met Matt downtown at Life Church Chicago. I've got six minutes. I'm going to land. Um, and... Uh, I, I, I was, I was uh, in meeting, and, um, you know, if you make a cookie, you know, everyone know what a snickerdoodle is? Um, snickerdoodles, you can, if you bite into any, to a snickerdoodle, you know, it tastes the same, but a snickerdoodle could be a different color, it could be a different size, and it could be a different shape. And different life churches are different sizes, they're different shapes, and they're different colors. You can put green, color, green coloring, and it will change the look. You can, put a, you can cut a cookie in the shape of a dog or a cat. Um, you, can, you can have a big, one, a big cookie or a small cookie. And as you go down to different life churches, you'll see they look different. They're different sizes. They're different shapes. But when you bite into them, you'll taste the same DNA. And I hear that all the time. It's amazing because it's so much to do with our root DNA of, of the kingdom and an understanding of the church and the finished work of the cross. But when I first met, met Matt, it was in a break um, like we had here downtown Chicago, and I said, Matt, what's your story? And I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, because I've only got four minutes now, um, tell the whole story. But basically, Matt, God spoke to Matt to, to reach homeless people in Chicago. There's is it over 100,000 people. Over 100,000 people are homeless in Chicago. It means they don't have an address. And the Lord spoke to Matt and said, I want you to become homeless to meet, to reach the homeless wasn't just here in Chicago, but um, he started in down south and became homeless and lived amongst the homeless people to reach the homeless people with the love of God. Isn't that amazing? So, Matt, we just celebrate you, mate, and just what you've done. You're, just, you're a tremendous hero. So appreciate you. I just saw the uh, brief today for uh, our new magazine. Uh, which is, I saw the, page, the front page came out. It's about to go to print. It's going to be an 80-page magazine called Life, Living in Fullness Every Day. And uh, that is coming, um, will be coming out in November. So we'll bring them back from the conference and you can see what's happening. But one of those articles is about Matt and uh, what he's been doing, um, uh, reaching homeless people with the love of God. So, um, that, so that's Chicago. We have, and then Nashville, we have a church called High Point Church, uh, which is led by Jim and Teresa Zelinsky. And that's a fairly new plant. And uh, uh, Tim and I have been down there. Anybody else been down to Nashville? Yes, you two have. 
uh, Edinburgh have been down there, and they're just they're just in a, in a in a time right now of just shaping and looking at DNA, looking at who they are, looking at their core values, and uh, and they're just. I talked to Jim this week, um, and they're just doing doing really good, really excited. Then we have St. Louis, where Luke Tanner is from, and uh, actually Luke is from Bath. But Luke, can you stand up? This is Luke Tanner, and. Uh, Luke is, uh, and his wife uh, moved from Bath. They, they came with one child, and they have three. And uh, so they're getting those American passports, baby. Awesome. Anyway, I've got three minutes. So, um, so and he's, uh, Luke is there, with, and he's the youth pastor there in St. Louis. Church is doing fantastic. As you know, they bought a building uh, fairly recently, like a $2.5 million building, which they picked up just for what was left on the note, which was just a fraction of what the car, the, the, the property was worth. And God has just blessed them. Just the favor of God is on that house. So Tom and Randy Kyle lead that church. And then we have uh, the UK, Bath. Anybody in the church in Bath? A few of you. And uh, uh, that's where the conference is going to be this year. Um, and uh, that, that church is going to change its name to Life Church Bath uh, sometime between now and the spring. There's a process of doing that. And then we have St. Charles. Woo! And... Uh, you know, I just want to say this. The best is yet to come for this house. You know, I, I, I am absolutely convinced that the walls of this building are not going to hold the church. This building is not the church. The church is a people. And uh, it's been a tremendous blessing for the season that we've had it. But I think we need to find room to grow and find space to spread our wings and to, to really, just to really go after our core values, to go after what God has called us to do, to see people come here, have an encounter with the living God, to see them express heaven on earth, to see their dreams to start coming true, to see them empowered, to see them equipped, to see everyone live in the fullness of everything that Jesus paid for on the cross and to express the likeness of heaven here on earth. In 2018, this year, the theme was planted. Next year, for those who want to embrace this, theme is Daniel 11.32, which says this, those who know their God will be strong and do great exploits. What a powerful verse. Those who know their God will be strong and do great exploits. Do great exploits. Know God, grow strong, and go. Know, grow, go. Know, grow, go. And in 2020, 2020, two years from now, is Acts 2020, where Paul pulls the elders together, and he says this, I was faithful to teach you the whole counsel of God, and now I want you to take this good news. In Acts chapter 20, verse 20, from house to house and into public. And 2020 is all going to be about taking from house to house out and go public with it. So it's, out in the, it's in the house and out into the streets. From in the house to out into the streets. So that's, is that pretty exciting? Do you feel like you've got a kind of a, a, a big, a kind of a very broad picture of who we are, what we're doing? And probably every year, I probably should do it more often, but probably for the last couple of years, I haven't actually shared that. But I just wanted to do it uh, this morning, and I was asked to do it tonight, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it this morning as well. So can we all stand? Look, it's 12.15 on the dot. Boom. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Just put your hand gently on the hand next to you. <laughs> 
Father, I just thank you so much for what you're doing in this house. Lord, we thank you for your church, your church, the global church that is like this sleeping giant that is being stirred and awakened across the earth. God, I thank you that you are, as we sang today, a miracle working God. Thank you that you for the finished work of the cross. Thank you that the wrath of God the Father was satisfied on, on Jesus the Son at Calvary. And God, I thank you that now we, the church, get to live in the fullness of all of that. And God, I ask that you would find that in this house. You'd find it in the other life churches. You, Lord, we ask that you would just bless the other churches that, uh, that are laboring in this city and in this county and in this country and in this nation. And Lord, for the nations to come. And God, we just thank you that one day when we, when we the bride, has made herself ready, a trumpet will sound. The sky will open and you, the King of glory, will come and collect your church that is glorious, that has made herself ready, that in a heart that is an army that is together, a body that is fitly joined together under the direction of the head, which is you, a bride that has a bridegroom, a house that has you as the, as the cornerstone and the final keystone, a vine that is fruitful and bearing fruit and fruit that remains and that we are living letters, that together we make sense. Lord, we give you all the glory and ask that you would just disturb us, that you would, you would keep us moving, you disturb our spirits so that we would keep becoming more and more like you. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. Gemini.